Well, I was following the order here. I was a little concerned about the last one. It says lockup. I'm not sure what that means, if that pertains to me or not. I guess uh, that pertains to the guest speaker. If he does a good job, you don't lock him up. But if he does, you lock him up. So it depends on where you get locked up. If you want to lock me up uh, in Hawaii somewhere, uh, then that would be a great spot. Well, good morning, everyone. God bless you. How's everybody doing today? I trust you're well. Uh, I'd like to know, did anybody get any rain yesterday or last night or afternoon at your home? Anybody at all? I was painting. We moved uh, recently from um, not far from here uh, to Lake Worth or near Lake Worth. And uh, I was painting yesterday of all days, and I knew it was going to rain, so I was trying to get a windowsill done in the kitchen as quickly as I could. And uh, I, I didn't make it. I was right in the process, and all of a sudden, it just started. Did it happen here that way? I mean, it just all of a sudden, a deluge came down, and uh, I had the window up so that the air you know, would flow and get that odor out of there. Uh, I was painting with oil. If you've ever done oil, you know how, what an odor it has to it. But that's all the trim in this house that we purchased was in oil base. So anyway, I had to follow that. And um, So anyway, I was painting, and all of a sudden it just came down. And um, the gutters in this home appear to be, <laughs> not appear, but they're all blocked up. And there's, uh, there's, they've got a cover on them, but I guess somehow the stuff gets in there anyway. And so the gutter right by the window I was working on it, the rain came down and just went like that and splashed all of the dirt right outside the window, which is a real low window by the kitchen, just all into my new paint, uh, newly painted um, windowsill. But anyway, we need the rain, and it was a welcome report, and um, it does get dry. And one of these days, summer's going to be here, it's going to be really hot, and we won't see any rain for a while. But... Um, I like the rain of the Holy Spirit myself, amen, let it rain, and uh, thank you for the worship this morning, by the way, it's always a treat to be here, um, I'm sorry I'm missing uh, Pastor Ricky and his family, but um, they're off doing something important, and uh, thank you for allowing me to be here this morning, I appreciate it, always enjoy coming here, and yes, my wife, the better half, is not here, it's often, uh, probably 80% of the time I walk into church and I get greeted by the pastor when he's there. And uh, he's, he doesn't even say hello to me. He just turns around and says, oh, Anusha isn't with you this morning. So I'm known as Anusha's uh, husband. And I just tell her I'm just happy to carry her books and tapes. But uh, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, stand with me if you would. Um, and as you do, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Second Kings chapter 6. I put this message together last night. I had a message picked out. On um, and maybe I'll do that. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm back here in just a short order if I get, don't get locked up uh, three or four months again. And uh, so I'll, I'll maybe I'll preach that message at that time. It's on the steps of the Lord and staying in step with God's agenda. But this morning, I want to talk to you about God's recovery and restoration business. God's recovery and restoration business. Just a thought that God gave me last night, and uh, so I hope you like it. But uh, let's read in Second uh, Kings. Um, chapter 6. Let's just read these seven verses, shall we? You all know this story. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small. They're experiencing growth. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. They're cutting down trees. 
You've done it probably, or maybe made firewood. And so he answered, and he said, go. Go ahead and do it. Sounded good to him. Then one of them said, please uh, consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go with you. It's nice when the leader goes with you, isn't it? So I went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down the trees. But as one of the cutting down of the tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. For the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in the midst in near the water, and the iron did float. Therefore he said, Pick it up again for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it up. Let's read verse 6 and 7 again. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And the guy that lost the axe head off the handle said to him, right over here. So then Elijah, who's a type of Christ in this story, cut off a branch, would be representative of who? Of Christ. Cut off a branch, threw into the water, and the next thing we see, if we were there, is a piece of iron floating to the surface. We know in the natural there's absolutely no way that could happen. Well, Father, with you all things are possible. You're always in the restoring business. If we've lost it, you know exactly where it is, and you can help us retrieve anything that's been lost, misplaced, or stolen in our lives. Father, if our marriage is going downhill, if we've lost something, a child, if we've lost our innocence, if we've lost anything in our lives, God. God, you can't always bring it back, or you don't always bring it back exactly the way it was. But lost things can be found. They can be retrieved. That includes our relationship with each other, and especially any relationship that we have with you. If it's not the way it used to be, Lord, we come back to you again, and it's replaced and replenished and the fire can come back. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn to someone before your seat and say, well, it's incredible. It's hard to believe, but you look better than the last time I saw you. Well, you do look great this morning. And anybody in God's house has to look good. Amen. No matter what we're facing, the Lord is here with us. God's restoration and renewal business. I mentioned uh, earlier to a couple of brothers, we were just standing around chatting before the service and uh, talking to one of your board members here. And um, he mentioned he was, he was in the contractor business doing roofs and those kinds of things. Um, right before we moved, not far from here, about 20 minutes from here, um, I felt really compelled to put our house up for sale. I don't know why we were, we liked where we were. Um, certainly wasn't anything fancy, but it was a very comfortable home. We'd done a fair amount of work on it. I'd done a fair amount of work on it because I used to be a contractor. And so I had my blood, sweat, and tears in that home and painting and tile and those kinds of things. But I don't know why. I just knew at that time we were supposed to sell the house. I went to my wife in Ocean. I said, honey, I believe you're supposed to sell the home, and, you know, there was this, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I just moved here not long ago. I like it. We've been home about six years, and uh, she said, no, I don't just, I don't, I'm not feeling this, you know. But anyway, long story short, I just, I just knew that we're supposed to sell the home. So we put it up for sale, 
And uh, the Lord got a hold of my wife's heart. We put it up for sale and had a bunch of people and uh, come look at it. And uh, a guy come along that was a vice president for McDonald's and uh, wanted to pay cash. They always think they can get it cheaper if they pay cash, right? Cash is still the same as a check to me as long as the dollar is the same. And uh, so anyway, he made us offer. We countered and we took it. And uh, he, the real estate person, hired a, uh, an inspector to come out. And near the end of the inspection of her home, everything was going fairly well. And he got out his little machine. I don't, I'm not a plumber. I've seen them. You know what they look like. There's a little machine that picks up the hint of gas leaks in your home or in your business. And wouldn't you know, lo and behold, he got in the kitchen with that thing and just turned it on, and the thing went off off the edge. Just it beeped as loud as it could go. And um, so he began to open um, the countertops and the drawers and those kinds of things and put it in there. Now, I understand we have a, 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 what do you call those islands in your home, you know, uh, in the kitchen, and we had a gas cop cooking stove, and everything in the house is gas. The hot water heater is gas. Everything is gas. So he just begins to investigate, and he said, you know, ma'am, I wasn't home. He said, Mrs. Bullock, he said, as an inspector working for the other, the other the, the buyer, I'm not allowed to tell you anything, but I'm telling you this for your own safety. Do not turn on a burner until you get a plumber out here. Well, my wife calls me, and um, at this point, she's a little nervous. So I come home from the office, get to the house. I call a friend of mine that's a master plumber. has been a plumber for 20-something years. And a long story short, I, I want you to just understand this story where I'm headed here. So he brings his little machine, which is different than the other guy's machine. But nevertheless, he walks in the door as a test case, opens the front door, and turns it on. And there was gas all the way into, down the hallway. And he couldn't believe that neither one of us could smell it. Now, I don't know about you, but gas is a little hard to detect sometimes in the air. But nevertheless, both of us, for, the last, for that period, three weeks prior to that, had that little flu and that congestion was going around. I couldn't smell anything. And neither could a new. So our, our nasal passages were blocked up, so we couldn't smell the gas. So the plumber comes along, investigates. we got an island. Now we've got to dig up the plumbing, take up the island, take up the tile, all the way to the uh, end of the wall and find out where that gas leak is. The person that built this, if you've done any construction, you'll appreciate this. The guy that did the plumbing work used cast iron pipe to carry the gas, which is absolutely a no-no in construction. It went straight down two feet, cast iron pipe, and did a 90, put a little camera down there and did a 90, and we finally found out where it was. So it was leaking down underneath the ground. In order to get to that, all that plumbing and all that pipe work and all the cabinets had to come out, looking at about $15,000 worth of work, and it was a disaster. So I prayed and I said, God, look, we don't have $15,000 to do this, so we'll need some help. And long story short, what we ended up doing is find the leak, capping everything off, and going to electric. Then we had an electrician trying to find a way to get in one end of the island when there was no electric, and on to the garage, and on and on and on. I believe, and I don't believe, but I know that God spared our lives or the life of my wife or myself. At any one given time, 
had we not known that there was a leak in that house and she turned on the pilot light to cook something, it is very, very possible. We're told by three different plumbers at any given point that thing could have gone off and it ignited and killed someone. The, the last thing in our lives we want is to get a phone call and something like that happened. So God spared, I believe, my life, my wife's life. What happens if we didn't catch it and the leak got worse after the new neighbor or the new person bought our home? And I got a phone call to hear about that our home blew up and the new owner had killed, was dead. I, I, don't, I would have had a hard time with that personally. God is always looking out for us. We don't, we, you know, God tells us these things. Sell your house. It didn't make sense at the time. Sometimes we're, we're doing things in our lives and going through a process in our life. We don't understand why God is telling us these things. But if we'll trust him, if we'll trust him and lean not to our own understanding, God will direct our paths. Can I get an Amen. Interesting here that in this story, verses 1 through 7, once again, that Elisha typifies Christ the Lord. He represents Christ in this particular story. And the company of prophets here typify Christian workers in general. So we have a picture or a portrait here, very quickly, of the Lord overseeing and instrumenting what he wants done in the church in the body of Christ. So we have Elijah as the Lord. We have the prophets here as the Christian workers, those in the church, not just those that uh, labor in service in the pulpit or sing or, or parking lot attendants or those kinds of things, but anybody really that is a born-again believer that is operating in the church that has some specific duty that they are doing in the kingdom of God. And then last of all, obviously, that the axe head here, to me anyway, I've heard this preached a thousand different ways. I'm sure you have as well. Well, the axe head got lost. And, well, you know, you've lost your marriage. You've lost your whatever. But I want to change this and see that I see this as a loss of power, a loss of the Holy Spirit's power in the life of the believer. Now, stay with me for a moment. As you, some of you know, Anush and I lived in the bush of Alaska. The only way to get to our place is 60 acres out there in a boy's home. We had a couple of cabins out there we built. The only way to get there was by airplane. We had a little uh, gravel runway by a river stream there. You couldn't get there by boat. You couldn't walk. You couldn't get there by horseback. You couldn't get there in a snowmobile. The only way to get there was by airplane. I, t- I can tell you, I've cut down hundreds and hundreds. and Yes, I love trees. But when you're in the bush and you don't have electricity, the only way you're going to stay warm in the wintertime is how? You had to cut down trees, chop down the trees, make logs out of them, and then what? Cut them up as firewood. So living in the bush of Alaska and living in other cold parts of the country, living in, um, uh, in West Virginia and Elkins and having to cut down trees, all we had was a fireplace. We didn't have electricity. So in the early days, when we got married, we didn't have a dime. We didn't have anything. Our car would go 100 miles. That was as far as it go. It had a hole in the radiator. We went 90 miles to go to a speaking engagement. We knew to stop 10 miles before we got there. It was that far and put water in the radiator. So we were living on borrowed time, so to speak. On, we, we survived on peanut butter, jelly sandwiches, and those kinds of things. So I know what it is to cut down firewood. I know how important it is to keep the axe sharp on the end of the axe handle. 
It's wonderful when, um, uh, when um, you know, gasoline-powered equipment came along and you use your chainsaw. But we didn't have those things immediately out there. We had our hands, our back, our strength, and our muscles, what there was of it. And we cut everything down by hand and carried everything by hand. Hundreds and hundreds of trees to build log homes and then ultimately log cabins for the, for the kids we had out there and were ministering to them. I know what it's like. And you know, if you've ever had the old style years ago before they came out with these, you know, it's glued on somehow or the special uh, glue that it was always possible for the axe head or the hammer head to come off the end of the hammer handle. And so here we see a portrait of Christ, if you would, in the form of Elisha. He's out there, and the quarters, and the, they were growing so fast that they needed to expand. That's a great thing in the kingdom of God. So we see that the company, we don't know how many prophets were out there. Some theologians believe somewhere between 80 and 90 to 100. But that's not a big group, but they were an energetic group. So they knew that they needed to do some building. We have to recognize, as we do this morning, it doesn't take a board member to recognize that we need to do some building in some way. If not in the church, but in our own lives, we need to build a better bridge towards each other, better and deeper relationships towards the kingdom of God and towards the Lord. The story in particular, I want to focus for a moment, is about someone, this man in general, who was out there working, but he lost the axe head. An axe without the axe head means ineffectiveness. So it is, a, it is a warning to you and I this morning that you may have the right equipment. You might have the right tools, spiritually speaking. But it is, for some, it requires a good, diligent effort to continue to be spiritually, physically, mentally alert and effective. To be focused, if you would, on what is true and noble and worthy of good praise and report. It takes a great deal of focus today with everybody on the planet, with all the political upheaval and the Democrats on one side and the Republicans and some in the middle. And it's just so confusing who's right and who's wrong. And this people claim that and this group over here claims they're right and on and on and on. There's a lot of distraction in the air. Uh, that's the reason I try and stay away from television today and those kinds of things. I'm not against it, but I don't, I don't sit in front of a television a lot. And I don't listen to a lot of the news because it makes me angry, quite frankly. It makes me sad, quite frankly. So it's going to take more focus today than ever before to remain effective in the kingdom of God. So this is a story, if you would. You can make up your own points if you, later on. You can preach this however you want. But for me... I see this as a Christian who's in service in some way. They're in the church. They're sitting in pews. They're tithing. They're doing certain things. But something comes along in their life where they simply lose their effectiveness. Maybe they lost it in their prayer life. Maybe they lost it in their Bible studying time. Maybe they lost it in their reading time. Maybe they lost it in their worship. I was uh, talking to a, uh, a Baptist brother day before yesterday. And uh, he was a Baptist preacher at one time. And I got in a conversation with him. And um, he was telling me that he now goes to Gateway, along with every other 9,000, more than 400 million people in the world. And so I thought, well, I said, well, I said, that's interesting. I said, 
gateway, the theology of Southern Baptist, where you came from. He has a master's degree from Southwestern. You don't get any more Baptist than that. I said, how in the world did you go from a master's degree in Southwestern pastoring a really strict, he said, strict Southern Baptist church to gateway? He said it was quite a jump of faith, but he said it was the best thing I ever did. I said, well, what changed your mind? He said, you know, I went, somebody invited me to a, uh, a men's conference. Um, what was the big men's um, conferences? They were going around a couple of years ago. Um, anyway, he, promise keepers. No, not promise keepers. What is it? For men, something anyway. He said, I got invited to a men's conference, and there was about 10,000 guys there. And he said, I, the worship was going on, and I was, he said, I, a typical Baptist, he said, here's how I look. And he made this, you know, kind of looking around, you know. And uh, he said, out of 10,000 people, I noticed I was the only one with my hands in my pocket. He said, so I recognized maybe they had something, and maybe there was some effectiveness that God was doing something different in their life than he was doing in my life. And so that's what sparked something new in his life. And now I guess he raises his hand. So the story is about someone that had the effectiveness in their life and they've walked away from God in certain area, or we can say they've become lukewarm, if you would. And I'm sure, I don't know who this applies to, and maybe it applies to me. Second Timothy 3 and 5 says this, that there are people that can have the form of godliness, but they deny the power of God, and from such turn away. Now that's a harsh verse to me. Does that mean that if I'm standing next to somebody in the church, they've got their hands in a pocket, that I'm not to associate with them? No, it's not saying that at all. You have to understand the context of this scripture and what Paul was saying to Timothy. There were people then, and there will always be people that come to church. And they look, they have an outward appearance that they're godly. They have an outward appearance that they appear to be Believers, they appear to be worshipers. They appear to be because they put money in the offering plate. They, they, they seem to do all the right things. But inside their heart, really deep inside, they, it's more of a form of religion than a relationship with Christ. And that's a warning for all of us. Not to lose our effectiveness in a relationship with God who does love us. You can sing all the songs you want. You can even lift your hands. But that doesn't mean that the effectiveness and the focus is still there. My daughter, our daughter Talitha, went to um, a really great school in Seattle, Washington to get her master's degree in counseling. And she's a therapist. She's been a therapist for nine years now. And she does incredibly well with it. Um, she has only female clientele. But... Um, I met one of her professors at the university one time, and uh, I had heard he rides a motorcycle, and I used to ride one. I had to sell it for the ministry, put one in the ministry. But So if you've got a free one, you're not using your garage, come get me, and I'll buy a helmet at Walmart, and I'll come to your house. But anyway, I had a little cheap motorcycle during that day, and I asked him, I said, I, said, uh, I hear you ride a motorcycle. I said, every day to the, every day to the office. And uh, I said, really? I said, do you ride a Harley? He said, a Harley? Like, that was a, a, a bad word. And he said, no, man, I don't ride a Harley. I ride a BMW. I said, really? I said, what's the deal with the BMW? And he said these words to me, and Manush and I are still trying to figure it out. He said, brother, it's a matter of focus. 
Now, only a guy with two PhDs and two master's degrees behind his name would say that to me. It's a matter of focus. What, what is it about focus that you ride a BMW over Harley? I take that to mean, after studying that, and I take that to mean that he's more focused because he rides a BMW, that you're less focused if you ride a Harley. I, I beg to differ with him. I think you're more focused if you ride a Harley and you don't ride a BMW. Can I get an amen from any of the men in here? All right. Unless you're riding a Honda Suzuki or some those aftermarket ring ding ding things. There, there are three main sections to this. Um, we're going to have fun while Pastor Ricky is gone, right? There are three main sections to this story. The first one I want to talk to you about is simply a pattern. A pattern to be approved. There are things that are healthy in our relationship with God and with each other. And there are things that are not so, so healthy. There is things that we can do that appear to be effective. We could get together tonight and say, well, we need to paint this building. And everybody is ecstatic about painting it. We're all in agreement it needs to be painted. But someone comes up with 1,500 gallons of nothing but purple paint. We agree that it needs to be painted, but we can't agree on the color. Now, listen to me. Therein lies the secret to church splits and problems within churches today. We agree that certain things need... Are you listening this morning? We agree that certain things need to be done, but we're not on agreement on how it needs to be done. Listen, friends, it's not the color of the walls. It's not the color of the carpet. To a degree, it's not even the songs that we sing versus hymns versus upbeat, new, traditional, whatever, or a combination thereof. I happen to like them all. I'm very comfortable in a church that does anything in that area. I even go, I have several cowboy churches that I go to, and it's, I, I got my cowboy hat, my boots on, and my jeans, and I'm right at home. It's more of a cowboy flavor. Now, I'm not a cowboy. You know, I've ridden my horses over the years, but I'm not a cowboy per se, but I'm comfortable there. I think the key is in effectiveness and staying focused, if you would, and not losing the axe head, losing your mind, losing your spirit, losing control, losing your faith, losing your confidence, losing that camaraderie, if you would, that we used to call in the military, but losing that relationship with one another where we can disagree and still agree that something needs to be done, but we don't move forward necessarily until we have a consensus on it. Now, how does that happen? Notice when the young man lost the axe head, he had enough sense to go to Elijah. We should have enough sense to go to the Lord and say, hey, <laughs> Something's lost here. It's not working well here. What about when we lose our prayer life and we're floating down the stream of life and, you know, we're just kind of backing up and all of a sudden we catch ourselves in the church and the movement of the Holy Spirit and the movement of the kingdom is way over here somewhere. And we just don't seem to get it. We don't seem to be in line. We don't seem to be in the flow. Sometimes I get in these churches and I have people come up to me afterwards and you say, and they'll put me on the spot or they'll take me out to lunch and say, well, what did you think of the worship? Well, I'd rather not say, 
I have pastors ask me that question. What do you think of the church? Give me your honest opinion. Well, the honest opinion is I think you're going to mow it down, put a Walmart. No, I'm just kidding, okay? But they ask me those questions, and sometimes it puts me on the spot. Well, I don't want to be dishonest, you know, but I, at the same, I don't want to lie. I'm not going to lie about it, but I don't want to say what I think sometimes. So maybe that's a matter of focus. And so I kind of word it in such a way as, well, look, brother, sister, whatever, you know, we're all different in the body of Christ. And listen, isn't it a very difficult task sometimes to try and make everybody happy? Isn't it? It's like the person that's sitting there, and you see women over there, or sometimes the guys, if they were brave enough to wear one, they're over their shoulder, over there freezing to death. And somebody over here has got their napkin out, wiping the sweat off their brow because they're burning up. And we're trying to please everybody. Listen, what pleases everybody is they find the common ground by worshiping God in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe the axe head represents the loss of the Spirit of God in the effect of life and instruments and tools of every believer. It is the power of the Spirit of God that brings about unity. God's given us a mind, yes. He's given us intellect, yes. And I hope you're using that to the best of your ability. But it's not my education or your education or the fact that you can do this, this, or this. It is when we're working together in the upper room as the disciples did. Notice that the, that the arguments and the loss of effectiveness, for example, with Peter, we denied the Lord, was not in the upper room. When they were in the upper room, they were in one accord, and that's not a Honda. My, wife, my wife's always in unity because she drives on no accord. They were in one accord when they were in the upper room because Jesus had told them to get in the upper room and tarry there and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't, we're never going to be effective unless we're waiting, dwelling in the presence of God and calling upon the Holy Spirit to come down and fill us. That's what I like about the Spirit-filled life. Notice this. In the first four verses that everybody was there in service for God. They were all willing to build the building, so to speak. Build a relationship. Build whatever you can think of. Everybody was there. So it is a picture of Christian service. But somebody in the midst of them became less effective. Now notice if you become less effective, and I go to a leader, whoever that might be, and I'm just using him as an example, and I go to him and I say, hey, you know, I've lost this thing. I've lost my effectiveness, and I need counsel. I need some help. I need some whatever. Notice this, that, that Elisha, nor Jesus, scolded the guy and said, well, you, you dummy. I mean, I mean, you knew better than to lose that. He said, well, and it was borrowed to, to boot. It's like if I go out and borrow his car. What kind of car do you drive, by the way? You drive a truck? I need a truck. Good. Can I borrow your truck next week? And a week after and a week after, I'll trade you for a couple of weeks. So I borrow his pickup truck, and I misuse it. I scratch it up. I dent it. I don't take good care of it. Listen, everything that you and I have is on loan. What you have is on loan. I mean, I know you're making the payments, but really, no, you're not. He's supplying what you need to make those payments, all right? So the more effective I am, the better relationship I have with the Lord and with you, I believe it is possible, it is possible that the Lord supplies the need as I supply what others have 
and they have need of as well. So he loses the axe head, still has the handle. Now, he could go out there and beat on that tree stump all he wants. He could beat it until the, until the cows come home. He could beat it all day long. But how far is that axe handle, a piece of wood, going to be effective on another piece of wood? It's like trying to sharpen iron with iron. I know that scripture. Well, I know what you're thinking. But the axe is designed for a single purpose, generally speaking, and that is to cut wood for some reason, whatever. Now, you can use axes for, I laid sod the other day until my back nearly broke in our backyard because there was nothing out there but weeds. Uh, the couple lived there. They didn't, they didn't grow grass. So, uh, you know, I'm leaning over my little hatchet like this, and I'm cutting around corners and cutting the angles out and all those kinds of things until my back hurt. So the little axe that I had was designed primarily for cutting. It's a cutting instrument. So think about, you know, what an axe head looks like. It's beveled on both sides. I can tell you that if it's not sharp, you're not even going to cut through sod. I know because my axe wasn't sharp, my little hatchet wasn't sharp the other day. And it's amazing how thick that sod is today. I think it was Bermuda or whatever it was that I bought. And the grass is about like that. My axe head was dull, and I'm out there whacking away on it. And all it did was tear the grass up. You can whack away, if you would, with your little dull instrument, your dull prayer life, your dull time with God, your dull timing, your dull uh, uh, attitude, uh, whatever, your dull gossip, whatever it is that we're dull at. And you can have the appearance that you are, because you still have at least part of the tool. But the, the, the two go together. It's the ball and glove concept. It's the car and driver. What good is the car in the driveway if you don't have a driver's license? I can give you so many cars. And if you don't have a driver's license, but that will motivate you. God is motivating you to learn to drive. He's motivating us to learn to get along. He's motivating us to be effective. He's motivating us. To, to say, hey, I've lost it. That's what counseling is all about. That's the reason I love counseling. I, I love it when, when I can sit down with someone and listen to their story and hear what's on their heart, if they're honest with me, if they're sincere, and hear what's hurting them and find a way, find an avenue to help them ease that pain. And ultimately, if they're a believer that's backed up on God, or been hurt by another believer, or whatever the story may be, in a marriage or scenario, or kids on drugs, or whatever it might be, uh, someone's in jail. I don't know. What the, you know, there's thousands of stories out there. And help them find their way back to God again. God is the master counselor. That if they've lost something, notice, too, that it fell in the water. Now, if there's no water around, that's one thing. It would have just come off the end and maybe whacked somebody in the head. Anybody ever play golf in here at all? Anybody ever try and play golf? That's me. I was out the driving range a few years ago, and <laughs> there was a young guy out there. I, I like to watch the young guys at the driving range. This guy was a pretty big guy for, you know, he was like 21, 22. And he had a bunch of his buddies, and they were just fooling around. You ever see that at the driving range? They were out there, and they were just trying to, to see who could hit the ball the farthest. They could have cared less about focus. Are you with me? 
They could care less about which direction the ball went. All they wanted to do was see how far they could hit the ball. Amen? So I was watching. I was here, and they were in front of me like this, and I'm right-handed. So one of them was left-handed, and he was kind of facing me a couple little sections down. He was just swinging a 1,000 miles an hour, and the ball would go straight up or over there, and he almost hit a bunch of people. Well, he did this for about 20 minutes, and they were still just goofing around and laughing or whatever, which is quite annoying, quite frankly. But nevertheless, I, I was kind of get a kick out of them trying to hit the ball as far as they could. I just swing a normal and hit the ball further than they were. So anyway, he swung away with his driver, and I think I heard him say it's a brand-new driver. He was out there proving his manhood at 21 years old, I guess. And the head of the driver came off of the, sh of the driver's shaft. And that thing flew further, almost as far as it hit a golf ball. Well, now everybody's got to stop. He gets out there, raises his hand, got to go out there and get his driver head. Everything stops because this guy is really playing the fool. All the other people had to stop, and he... He was looking so nobody whacked him in the head with a golf ball. I've been hit with a golf ball. It hurts. Went out there, got us. Now he comes back. Well, now everybody's looking at him. Hey, there's the guy that lost the golf club head off his out there. Everybody was noticing how they were doing. So there's a time for fun. There's a time for having a good time. But there's a time, there's a pivotal point in our lives. We make a conscious decision. And we mean it at that moment that we're going to begin to live like we want to live next day, the next day, the next month, and the next year. When all those people in Israel were coming out of bondage, and all of a sudden Miriam and Aaron come against Moses, everything came to a stop while Aaron had to go outside the camp because God made her into a leper. You see, your effectiveness and the loss of it doesn't just harm you, but it is possible that your lack of commitment to God, your lack of commitment to your spouse, your lack of commitment to what God's called you to do, your lack of commitment to that and your lack of focus on that can also harm somebody else. You say, well, no, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not a leader. I'm not this. I'm not that. What, you know, what can it hurt? I don't know. I can't answer that except to tell you. That down the road somewhere, if you don't get that thing turned around, it will affect somebody else, ultimately affect somebody else. And if nothing else, listen, forgive me for using the word predestination here, but let me use it for, for a moment. If God has predestined you to do a certain thing four years and two months and seven days and six hours and 22 seconds from now, and my lack of effectiveness if you're in an airplane, and you're flying, and you're at um, whatever altitude, 5,000 feet, and you're going from here to Las Colinas, whatever, California, and you know you've got your chart, and you called, you know, what, where you need to stop for gas, on and on and on, and you've got a prevailing winds, you've got a winds coming out in the north-northwest, and you're flying west, and, you, you know, on and on and on. So you, gotta, you, you have to make correction in order to get there, or when you get there four or five or six or eight hours later or two days later or four days later in a smaller plane to get there, you're going you're gonna to be off course. I got blown off course one time. I was flying a plane from um, 
Well, I don't remember exactly where it was. All I know is I had the land in a cornfield. And the cornfield, fortunately, the corn, corn was gone. I, was, I had a tail dragger, so it wasn't that big a deal. But winds and the rain came, and it was so bad, I, I couldn't see the prop. And I've been in aircraft all over the world. I was in the Air Force, and so I've been in airplanes all over the world. Not all over the world, but a lot of places in the world. I had several planes over the years. And so, I mean, it was just a storm like I'd never seen before. And so, you know, you try and do your best to stay on your instruments and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it was bad. I was like that for about 40 minutes. In 40 minutes, I was 40 miles off course. I mean, it just blew that little light plane of mine just... And you're trying to keep, but well, you can't see anything. I couldn't see nothing. You know, I was about three or 4,000 feet. I couldn't see a thing. It blew me that much off course. Well, I don't know where I am. So I saw a, a beautiful-looking field out there. I land in the field, and the farmer comes out there with a pitchfork or a rake in his hand, a hoe or something, and I guess he was, I thought, hmm, I'm dead, you know. And... Uh, so anyway, I said, I'm, I'm sorry, man, but, you know, I'm kind of low on gas, and I got blown off course. And he said, don't worry about it. He said, I keep my plane just up the street from here. He was a pilot. Of all the fields I landed, this guy's got his own plane, the same field I'm trying to get to that I'd never been to before. And uh, so anyway, I got blown off course. So we have to be careful to be effective. We'll get blown off course. So that what I'm saying is where God wanted you to be, in, in a week or a month or a year, where God wants this church to be six months from now. Don't get blown off course by being ineffective and losing it somehow. Fill in the blank behind losing it. You ever heard the term, "Wash he lost it. What are we saying? He lost it. Lost his what? Became angry, whatever. Don't lose your effectiveness now. Stay together and believe God. John 15, 4 says, What? Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit in itself. It must remain. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 2, they were all burdened about the same thing. Everybody agreed. Everybody agreed there. We don't hear from every single person, but all those prophets agreed. They elected a leader to come to the rest of the group and say, we need to do something. That's what trusting and leadership is all about. That's what trusting your board and each other. And the board trusting in you, quite frankly. It's reciprocal. So they all agreed that something needed to be done. So they got together and they knew where there were logs and trees and they knew they could cut it down. I suppose they were making little log homes and log cabins. I don't know. So they recognized that there was a work. Let me ask you, do you not see... Right here in this church, there's work to be done. Come on, let's be honest. Of course there is. Every church there is. I don't care if there's 5,000 or 50,000 or five. Every church has work to do to fulfill the calling and the mandate that God has for you. Notice verse 2, they were commissioned men. These weren't just ordinary workers either. These were guys. Um, maybe there were some gals there. These were men that had a call of God in their life. You say, well, I'm not called to preach. You're called to do something. Don't tell me you're not called to do something. You're called to do something, or at least you're called to be something. You're called to be somebody in Christ. And if you're called to be somebody in Christ, then you're called to do something for Christ, whatever that is. Maybe God has called you to be an intercessor. 
Maybe what this church is lacking is the very thing that you have that you don't know you have it yet. You ever thought about that? The very gift that the church needs for conquest and growth could be the very gift that you have. You say, well, I'm already singing. I'm already playing the piano. I'm already locking the doors. I'm already greeting people. What else can I do? I don't know. Maybe there's something else. In other words, I'm saying to you, don't be satisfied with the one thing you're doing now. You say, well, I'm too busy to do anything else. Okay. You take that up with God. Amen. i just let you. And so, Colossians 4 and 17 says, Paul says to Acrippus, See to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. Now, he's mentioned in three books of the Bible, and very few people know anything about him. It is believed that he was the son of Philemon. That's one of the beliefs. Nobody seems to really know. Any of the Jewish history books I read, nobody seems to know for sure. But we do know that he was young from what we can read about him. And we also know that he had a call of God on his life. We don't know to what. Was he called to evangelize? Was he called to be a board member? Was he called to greet people at the door? What was it? We don't know. We have no idea. But we know that Paul understood from the Holy Spirit it was necessary to remind him to fulfill the ministry in which you were called. Now, the theologians and the scholars are divided on what that means. Half the scholars that I read, and it wasn't a lot, but half the scholars I read believe that as a, it was a light rebuke from Paul to the young minister to get going. The other half of the scholars believe it was a word of encouragement. I happen to believe it was a little bit of both. When I came to the Lord after all my years of drug addiction and all that nonsense I went through, about a year... Well, nine months or so into this, I had gone out looking, and I wanted to minister. It was pre-Bible school, but I wanted the, to minister before I went to Bible school, which is fine in some cases, but God had a different plan. But I wanted my, I didn't want my plan necessarily. I just didn't know exactly yet what God wanted me to do. So I was following my plan. I thought it was a good one. I'm going to go jump into ministry. I'm going to pastor a 10,000-member church. Millions of people are going to come to Jesus, and everything's going to be cool. And so I went looking for that big ministry right away, and I didn't have my heart in the wrong place. Trust me, okay? I, and I say big. I just was looking for the ministry. And so I go out looking, and I didn't find what I thought I wanted. I didn't find the task that I wanted to do. I wanted to take my little axe and my little axe head and go chop somewhere where I wanted to go chop. This is what I felt that was best for me. It wasn't long after all of that that I had a dream. And in the dream, a man came to me in the dream and stuck his finger in my nose and said, it is time to get off the couch and go to work. I know know it was God. I don't know who the man in the dream was. I'm not saying it was Jesus. I'm not saying it was an angel. But I knew this was a direct word from God. I thought, hmm, okay. Then I knew same thing going to Bible school. I thought, well, how can I combine the two? So 
It wasn't two days later. The Holy Spirit said, open up the yellow pages. I had no idea why, but I knew it was the Lord. And I was living in Orange County, California. When they had yellow pages, back before they got away from yellow pages, the phone book in Orange County, California was quite thick. The Holy Spirit said to me, this is your next assignment. This is where you're going to minister. And so, this sounds unusual, but this is exactly what the Holy Spirit told me to do. He said, close your eyes, open the yellow pages, and put your finger down, and that's your ministry. I knew. I opened my eyes. I just knew it was a big church. I just knew it was a great ministry. I knew it was going to be working at some big ministry somewhere. I, knew, I just knew it. And the closer I looked and examined it, I said to the Lord, Lord, can I get a second chance at this? I looked down, and it said, James Jones, veterinarian medicine. Well, I took my little feeble hatchet, grudgingly, went down, knocked on the door. I had no idea. I thought, oh, you know, God's going to cause me to lead the the veterinarian to the Lord. You know, that's what it's going to be. I mean, I'm going to lead everybody in the office of the Lord. And so I walked in the door. Just nobody knew me. I knew nobody there. And I walked up to the counter. I said, my name is Alan Bullock. And uh, she said, are you here for the ad? I said, help me, Jesus. And I said, "Uh, what ad? And she said, yeah, we put an ad in the paper yesterday. We need help. And I said, and the Lord spoke to me and said, that's it. So for the next six months, nine months, my job was to clean the cages of the animals at the veterinary hospital. So my little acts for the next six to nine months wasn't doing what I wanted to do. But I ended up doing what God wanted me to do and ended up getting a promotion and becoming a little better there and on and on and on. And then went with the Bible school and the rest is history. I'm just telling you the simple little story because, listen, if you're not willing to do what the Lord asks you to do, no matter what it is and no matter what it looks like, hey, what? Don't despise those little, tiny, humble beginnings. Amen? I have nine minutes. Look at your neighbor and says he's got nine minutes. Don't throw anything. Verse 3. They realized their dependence upon, upon Elijah. They were unprepared to undertake the task without him. John 15, I am the vine, you the branches, you remain in me. So they all came to Elijah and said, hey, look, we all had a meeting here, and it's obvious that something needs to be done. You notice in this story that Elijah could have said, nope, no, it's not time. What would have happened? I believe, I believe that the representative of the group that came to Elijah, had Elijah said it's not the time, I believe he'd have turned right back around and told the group and said, the the man of God said it's not time yet. But I find it fascinating to me that it was time. I don't think you can convince me that it's not time every time of every day of our lives to become more effective today than we were yesterday. You can't convince me in the Scriptures anywhere 
that it's not always time to be a witness, that it's not always time for growth, that it's not always time for conquest. I'm not saying that God doesn't give us a rest period. That was what the Gilgal, uh, city of Gilgal was all about. It was about the nation of Israel going, circumcision, but stay there until you're healed. There is a Gilgal motel for every believer. There is a time to rest. In the Old Testament, when the men got married and there was a war going on, they stayed home for a year. I think that's a cool thing. But listen, friends, a year and a day is too long. It's a day too long. If you're on sabbatical from the Holy Spirit, listen to me. If you're on sabbatical, if you're still in the mountains of Tennessee on your, on your vacation and you're supposed to be in church or you're at the driving range and you're supposed to be in church or you've been called to do something to become effective, Maybe you're the one, listen, maybe you're just the one to help the guy that lost it find it again. Maybe God's calling this church to be effective in that way. Maybe he's waiting for you to become you in Christ in order to bring people to the door that aren't effective. And you can say to them, hey, man, I was right where you were. My, my life was a mess. I was here. I was there. I was doing this. I was doing that. Man, I'd go to the driving range. I'd just lose it. I'd get some out on the golf course. I'd kill squirrels. Maybe God's waiting on you to become the you you're supposed to be in Christ in order to help those people that have lost things in life. Do you know there are more people losing things today than ever before? There are more people losing things today. There are more divorces today than ever before. There's more confusions today than ever before. If you don't think so, come to my office in counseling. You're going to hear stories about kids chopping up their grandfathers with butcher knives. I mean, um, Hell's Angels, kind of guy 6'6", six, six, I don't know, 350 pounds, brought his teddy bear with him, for crying out loud. A Hell's Angel with a teddy bear. It doesn't make sense to me, but maybe, maybe it's a matter of focus. I didn't dare ask the guy for his teddy bear. You know? Three guys I know made the mistake, the, the Counselors tried to do that with the guy and didn't really work out really well. Don't tuck the uh, teddy bear of a hell's angel. I can just warn you ahead of time. But the guy got his life turned around because he was willing to submit to the lordship of Christ. Submission is not a bad word. We, we think it's a, some people today think it's a nasty word. You know, uh, submission, oh, yeah. I won't be able to go to the driving range and have fun. I won't be able to take my bass boat out and do 100 miles an hour or buy anything I want or do anything I want. If I'm submitted to Christ, I do more than the guy that isn't submitted to Christ and have more fun than the drug addict. I can know, tell you because I've been on both sides of the fence. Everything that is anti, that has fallen into the river of life, whatever it is that we've let go of and that we didn't bother to go look for again, listen to me. A lot of people lose things as believers. We lose this, and I won't, I won't name it. You just think of it. We lose something. If nothing else, we've lost our first love. Come on. We've lost our first love. We've become lackadaisical and withdrawn, and, you know, I don't like people anymore. I don't want to be around anybody anymore. I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to da 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 the Holy Spirit comes along, knocks on the door of your heart and says, listen, I can actually turn that around in your mind and the feelings that you're experiencing because, listen, they are counterproductive to kingdom growth. 
Learning to be effective and focused, if you would, isn't about which motorcycle you drive. It's really not even which church you attend. It's not even what the songs you sing. I can, listen, even if I don't like the song, I can still sing it as under the Lord. Can I get an amen? So I may not like everything. Find me a church where you like everything, please. Can somebody take me there? Anybody know one that you like everything, the guy says? You believe everything the preacher preaches? Show me somebody on Christian television. And we all have our likes and dislikes, but show me somebody that is absolutely perfect fit for you. You have to become the fit. You go to a fitness center to get fit. We come to church to get fit spiritually. Paul said, look, bodily training is of some value. Fantastic. I can tell you that mental training is also important. But spiritual training, how, how are you reacting to the spirit that is operating in your life, showing you you know it anyway, speaking to you about that thing that you lost. All you do, you got your lax hand off there, you're going, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I am bored to death. This is the day. I'm not making fun of the song. But some of us... Are, if we're not careful, if we're not already there, can get to that place of lives. Are you with me this morning? I still have time. Verse 5 tells us that one of the workers lost the axe head. So he lost the cutting, the cutting process. Paul said something like this that kind of goes along with this, that we're to, where to get suited up for service, helmet of salvation, shot our feet with the gospel of peace, the blessed prayer of righteousness. And he goes down the list, right? And then what does he say? So that we can quench all the darts of the evil one. Think about this. You ever see the kung fu movies where the guys can do anything? They fly, they... Anyway, so there's all these different, you know, little tools they have, these little apparatuses, you know, the little knives they throw and, you know, all those kinds of things. Picture your, your effectiveness as to the degree that you are sharp in mind, body, and soul. Now, I don't want to work for a roofer if... I'm in bad shape because I won't be able to keep up. What kind of condition do you have to be to keep up in the kingdom? You have to be spiritually fit. Elijah again didn't say, well, you're out of here. That'll be $49.95 for losing the axe. I just talked to the owner. He's really upset. You know what the definition of a servant is? It really is the same word for caretaker. You know what a caretaker is? You've, served, you've seen it on TV, these fancy homes where the guy family died and they left it and whatever, and you know, and there's a caretaker there. Or the caretaker would be the gardener. And he's out there, he's taking care of somebody else's property. That's what a spiritual caretaker is. You're not just here to come and... Raise your hands if you do, or hands in your pocket if you do, or just to sing and hear a message and go home. 
You're here to become more Christ-like. Hopefully. Can I get, am I in a Baptist church? Can I get an amen? You got your hands in your pockets this morning? Hey, I love the Baptists. I speak in Baptist church, so I love Baptists. We're here to grow. If we lose something, let's go to Elijah and say, hey, admit it. I've lost it. I've sinned. I've fallen. I've lost my first love. I'm numb. I don't, I don't feel like praying anymore. But don't keep going with that and down the road find you're off course because God's going to, I, may I say boldly, that God may hold you accountable. If you knew full well that the Spirit of God was dealing with you and you lost something and you don't follow up and go to the Elijah of your life, whoever that might be, and let me close with this. He lost his power while he was working. Perhaps he was working too energetically and not smartly or in a spiritual way. He was conscious of the loss, and he was distressed over the loss. Well, it's an interesting story. And surely you've read this and you see that there's a lot of ways, if you would, or angles to look at this story. So let me just ask you this. If I had the machine like the plumber had to detect the gas leak, and it was a little machine that could detect the spiritual life of everybody in the church, ooh, hope you don't have one of those. No, I don't. I don't want one. But if I did, and I were to take the little machine, well, that thing's heavy. Grief. I need something lighter. And I had that little machine. I would go up and down the church. I'd start over here and tick, 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 tick. Well, the louder it is and the more it goes off, then the better it is, right? So I'm, okay, we're good, right? Because I don't want you to hurt me. He might hurt me, so I'm going to move on over here. I'll pick on the women, okay? Tick, 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 tick. Let me share a dream with you that I had, and I'll close. Um, I was in a large church as a pastor, and um, about 1,800 on Sunday morning, seven pastors on staff, and... Um, the board, the board meetings were less than appropriate. It was such a big cosmopolitan apparatus, um, you know, with such a giant machine with so many people and so many pastors and so many things going on. 300 in the choir. I mean, three different types of youth pastors, one for little, little squirts, little munchkins, and then the next group and the next group on a college career. All that kind of, that is a huge, huge apparatus. I joined it, I guess, the team, when it was at its worst. Because on the surface, this is the church the mayor went to. Seriously. This is the church the congressman went to when he was in town. This was the church the chief of police went to. This was the church that everybody, that was anybody went to. I mean, the carpet was so thick, you just, you know. I mean, it was just amazing. Beautiful, beautiful Ephesus. 
The pastor was a theologian, noted scholar, well-known guy, written a bunch of books, one of the first guys to go to Israel and begin working in Israel on and on and on. But every time I went to a board meeting, they were, I mean, it was like, you know, it was like the only sale dress at Macy's, and there was five people wanting it, you know. I mean, but everybody, the argument was this, and I'll make my point. The choir director didn't want to do what his choir practice night moved from Wednesday night to accommodate the new evangelist team that was going to work during the spring before the summer heat got. But it needed to be accommodated just temporarily. I was in a staff meeting one time, and that went off, and it was not effective. Everybody would argue and stick up for their department. Well, I heard one guy say, I've been here the longest. I have been here the longest, and therefore, I deserve the right to pick what should happen first. And I just said these board meetings, I'm thinking, man, the best thing for here is for somebody to bring a stick of dynamite and just blow this whole thing up, and let's start new. They just argued all the time. These were full-grown men and women of God in their own right had come from other churches or other ministry where they were effective. But they got together, and somehow... They just wanted to just, you know, it's, this is my turf, turf war kind of thing. And grown men sound like politicians, doesn't it? So I had it. Anyway, I, let me tell you about the dream, and I'll close. I had this dream, and in the dream, after about two years of being there, in this dream, an angel of God came into the church. And it was during a Sunday morning worship service. And he had, uh, there was another angel with him. And the angel with him had a sickle. And this angel, the one that was part of the focus of the dream, uh, come real quick. Come real quick. Stand, stand shoulder to shoulder here. No, no, face that way. Yeah. All right. So what I saw in the dream, I was in the back of the church, and the church was all like this, and the choir was up there, and everything looked. When the church service was going on, everything was fine. It was when the church service wasn't going on that things weren't going right. So the angels, these two angels came in the back door. I watched them. There was row after row. It was all the church. They were all standing and row after row. And these angels, listen to this now. Listen. I don't think I've ever told this story. The angel, didn't. Ha- first angel had nothing in his hand. He was reaching through into the heart and the soul and the spirit of every single person. And let me tell you what I saw. If the word of God wasn't inside that individual, I'll use the word effective. That wasn't the dream, but I, it, it's a good synonym here. If their life wasn't spiritually effective, he was reaching in and pulling through the word of God and stealing it out of their being. That person then would fall to the ground. So I watched in this dream, he did 1,500, 2,000 people. It was just an incredible dream. Next person, he couldn't get through there. He, he couldn't push his way through there. He couldn't get his hand in there because there was a spiritual block there, a good positive spiritual block because that person was walking with God. So you may see it. Thank you so much. So anyway, you get the point here. 
It wasn't three years. I resigned about a year later. I just couldn't handle him. Three years later, that church folded. It went from almost 2,000 people on a Sunday morning and being the most well-known church in the community, okay, to about 250 people. That happened not long ago in a major church not far from here where the guy became proud and arrogant and argumentative and would listen to his own people. God said, call that guy and meet with him. He knew me. I knew him. I called him. He wouldn't return my call. God said, call him again and tell him this, that if he doesn't get his life right with, with me, if he doesn't stop this pride and arrogant thing, I will remove everything he ever had. That church is no more. I don't, don't ask me. I won't tell you. You can think you might know it, but I doubt you do. They were up to 3,500. The guy became proud, wouldn't listen to anybody, wouldn't return my calls, and I didn't expect him to, quite frankly. I'm nobody. I'm not saying I'm somebody and whatever. I'm just saying that God uses us all in some capacity, amen, to speak to different people. That church is no more. He went from that church to a church meeting in a school or something somewhere, somewhere, to 250. I understand now. I don't think the church has even existed. In just three, here, listen to me. I, I, I know I'm over time. Forgive me. That's what I'm telling you. If I'm ineffective now, if I lose it now, if I'm not cooperative now, if I'm not working out my own salvation with fear and trembling now, if things aren't going well, I'm not doing my best to serve God in the place that he set me, three years down the road, something's going to happen. You get what I'm saying this morning? Amen? Stand with me if you would. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Lord, I don't know about any of them, but I've been guilty of losing my effectiveness, whether it was for a minute or for an hour. And Father, I don't want that to happen in my life. I'm willing to admit the fact that I'm not always as effective and focused and doing everything that you want me to do. But Father, like David, I want to be quick to repent, quick to turn around, quick to say I'm sorry, quick to be submitted to the Holy Spirit, and submit one to another in love. There are men that I'm submitted to. I'm submitted to my pastor. I'm submitted to my church. When, I, when I'm in this church, I'm submitted to the leadership here. But Lord, we're ultimately submitted to you, the great shepherd. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one looking up. I'm not going to call you forward. So just in privacy to that person, is there anybody in here that this message has spoken to you and you want to get back on the right track of being effective again in your relationship with God and with people? In some capacity or another, you're that person that lost that accent and you want to get it back. I'm willing to go to the Holy Spirit right now and say, the Holy Spirit, come help me. I'm not going to call you up. Just when you and the Lord just want to pray for you. Anybody at all, just raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Just be honest. Just lift your hand and put it down again. Nothing to be embarrassed about. I just, I just confess to you that that was me. God bless you. Anybody else? I'm not as effective as I used to be, and I want that changed this morning. Anybody else? Well, let's pray together. Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, you've seen our hands and our hearts. We pray, God, that this thing gets turned around. We confess it. Lord, we want it back. We want our effectiveness back. We want our prayer life back. 
We want our fire back. We want to be compelled more and more and more to do better in the kingdom of God, to do more in the kingdom of God. As you unveil to us and show us, God, what is our duties and our responsibilities. God, if we don't know what that is, help us to see that, Holy Spirit. Come and show us, Father. We don't need to take a gift survey, and there's nothing wrong with them, to know what we need to do. We need to start off, just like the Lord came to me in a dream and said, look, get busy. Maybe God is telling somebody in this church, it's time to get busy. Not busy in a busy way, but busy for the kingdom. Find out what it is the Lord wants you to do. Volunteer, do something, and become busy for the kingdom of God. Now, heads are by and eyes are closed. Is there anybody here at all that needs Christ? You're not a Christian? I assume that everybody is, but I don't, I don't want to walk out this door and not give you an opportunity. Is anybody in here need Jesus in your life? You need the Lord right now. You give your life to Christ. You want to see your sins are forgiven, washed in the blood. Father, in Jesus' name, touch every single man, woman, boy, and girl. Wash us in your blood. Forgive us of our sins. Make us whole and well. Write our names in the Lamb's book of life. In Jesus' holy name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. Brother, somebody?